Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Wendy Wood. Wendy is Provost Professor of Psychology and Business at the University of Southern California and author of the book, Good Habits, Bad Habits. For the past 30 years, she has studied the nature of habits, how they form, and why they are so difficult to break. In the episode, Wendy explains the role of willpower in forming new habits, how to create and break habits more easily, what to do if you're a parent of young kids and your life has been turned upside down, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, Dry Farm Wines. Did you know that alcohol manufacturers aren't required to post ingredients or nutrition facts on their bottles? That's how they're able to sneak sugar and other additives into their products. Fortunately, Dry Farm Wines has come up with a solution. Their natural wines are lab-tested to ensure they're sugar-free, lower in sulfites and alcohol, and also free from other industrial additives. Since I've grown accustomed to drinking natural wine, even the top-rated, expensive, conventional wines can give me headaches and just make me feel kind of gross. If you've never tried Dry Farm Wines, you're going to be immediately hooked by the flavor and quality of their products, and their customer service is top-notch. To get a bottle of Dry Farm Wines for just a penny, visit dryfarmwines.com slash thehealthinvestment or click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Wendy. Enjoy! I'm Brooke Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Wendy. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure, Brooke. Good to be here. One of my favorite topics to talk about, and I know my listeners love it as well, is habits because we all have habits. And I think at any point in time, we're all trying to implement new habits or break bad habits. So I'm very excited for this conversation and would love if you could start off by telling us a bit about your background and specifically what led you to write your awesome book, Good Habits, Bad Habits. Um, Well, thank you for the kind words about my book. I am a researcher, I'm a behavioral scientist who studies habits. And I started this about 30 years ago because none of us really have much sense of how our habits work. And what I found through my research is that's actually how they're designed. It's not that we're supposed to know and we're just not paying attention. In fact, Habits are a memory system that works outside of our conscious awareness. So it's what we call implicit memory. And habits are memories about how we do things. 
So we have memories for all kinds of stuff, right? You have memories for um, books that you've read, people you've met, faces you've seen. But you also have a specialized memory system for how you've done things in the past. And that helps us to repeat the same behavior in the future, which is great when we're doing something we want to do. But very often our goals shift or our values change. We learn new health information and we're trying to change old habits. And that's where it gets interesting. Mm. So I think I know what a habit is. I've talked to other habit experts as well. As a researcher who's studied habits for years, how do you define it? Is it just what you said, a memory system, or is there more to it than that? Well, it is a memory system. Um, It's a memory of what you have done in the past in a particular context that generated some reward. So it could be how you make coffee in the morning, right? You stand up in front of your coffee machine and you just do what you've done before. You don't have to ask yourself, do I want coffee this morning? Am I really that tired? Instead, you just repeat the behavior that worked for you in the past to generate a cup of coffee. And that's the beauty of habits is it allows us to repeat what we've done without thinking. And the way it does this is habits are really mental associations. They're sort of shortcuts that we've learned what to do in this context that's gonna work in some way. So it's really kind of a good thing in that it's a sort of survival mechanism because without them, we would just have to think consciously about every single thing we're doing all day. And that would be mentally exhausting. You got it. That's exactly it. It's, um, it's really functional because we don't have the ability, the motivation to constantly be making decisions. So we actually are acting on habit a whole lot more than we realize. In my research, I found that about 45%, um, the exact number that we've come up with is 43% of what people do every day is repeated out of habit. And that's a huge number. So if you think about how much of your behavior is habitual, that probably seems like a way overestimate, but it's not. And that's because we don't realize when we're acting on habit. Mm. Is it important for just the common layperson like myself to understand the ins and outs of habits or you know, what, what do we need to understand in order to create good habits and break bad habits? What do I need to know? What do listeners need to know? That's a great question because it sounds so esoteric. Um, yeah. And like it wouldn't have much relevance to people. But if a whole lot of your behavior is based on habit, then you really need to know how habits work in order to change that behavior, right? 
So you want to start a new diet where you're eating more healthfully. You want to eat more fruits and vegetables. You want to start exercising more. Knowing how habits work will allow you to do that more effectively. So Mm. that's the promise of understanding your habits. And that's actually why I wrote my book, Good Habits, Bad Habits, because There's a lot of information out there on habits, but very little of it, to be honest, um, actually is um, consistent with the science of habit formation and change. And because you can't introspect about your habits, you can't just come up with explanations that will work. Instead, We've learned through a lot of research and experiments how we can take control of our habits. What are some common uh, or pieces of advice people are giving in terms of implementing new habits or breaking bad habits that really aren't based on research? Well, people think that you can make a decision and form a new habit by making a decision. But that's not how habits form. Habits form through doing. They form through repetition. When you repeat the same behavior over and over, each time you repeat it, you incrementally strengthen that habit memory trace so that habit becomes stronger. And that's the only way to form a habit is through repetition. And Mm. it's interesting because it's not how most of us go about changing behavior, right? When you want to change your behavior, what you do is you start thinking about all the reasons why you should. And you try to motivate yourself. You exert willpower. But the challenge is that's not how habits form. It's not through your decisions, through your willpower. It's really just through repetition. Hmm. So just start taking action. Exactly. So your focus needs to be not on you and keeping yourself motivated. Instead, it needs to be on your behavior. And what is going to make it likely that you repeat a behavior? And that's where research comes in. So let's say, for example, you want to start a new exercise program. Well, there's great research showing that people who live closer to a gym, so don't have to travel so far, are much more likely to go to the gym on a regular basis than people who live further away. Hmm. Why is that? Well, it's just easier to go if you live close by. It's easier to repeat the behavior and it's easier for it to become your habit. So what you want to do in forming a habit is you want to make the behavior easy in some way so that you're likely to repeat it. Hmm. Yeah. 
That's great advice. I used to uh, live in New York City and I was teaching at the time and I taught in New Jersey. So I was constantly taking the path from Manhattan into New Jersey. My gym was in Manhattan and I always had the best intentions of going to the gym when I got home, but I, I didn't most of the time. I would just plop on my couch and come up with every excuse in the book of why I didn't need to work out that day until I started taking my gym bag with me to work, getting off at the stop on the subway closer to my gym and walking home past the gym. And then I could tell myself, you know, go in for five minutes. I know you're really tired today, but just do five minutes and then you can leave if you don't feel like it. But the five minutes always turned into 30 minutes or 45 minutes. But people would make fun of me for taking my gym bag all the way, all the way into work in New Jersey and then all the way back to Manhattan. But I had to do that if I was going to go. I just absolutely had to. There was no way around it. That's a great story. It's exactly <laughs> exactly what I mean by making it easy. Always having your gym bag with you. Keep If you run, keeping your running shoes by the front door can make it easier to start. So anything that reduces what we call friction on the behavior is going to make it more likely that you'll do it and repeat it into a habit. I mean, I have a similar story. So I, um, I, I wanted to eat more vegetables in my, I wanted to put more vegetables into my diet. So I started buying all of these great vegetables at the farmer's market. There's a good farmer's market close by, but they go bad in my refrigerator and I'd feel guilty and I'd be wasting money. What I learned is I'm much more likely to eat them if I buy them already cut up, already mm. washed, if they're partially prepared, then I'm successful. You know, they're not quite as fresh and they cost a little bit more. But for me, it's worth it because if I can <laughs> make it easy for myself to keep eating vegetables, then I'm much more likely to have it as a habit. And it has become my daily habit now. Mm, yeah. Um, so then once it becomes your habit and you're so used to eating vegetables, then can you transition more into buying the uncut vegetables at the farmer's market? Or does it pretty much stay forever that you do the easier thing? Or does it depend on the person? Well, I think it depends on the person, but it certainly gives you an opportunity to keep buying some partially prepared vegetables and then adding, this is what I do lately, adding some from the farmer's market to them so that I'm doing sort of a hybrid thing. Mm -hmm. Whatever is automatic, you can just add on to that once you've established the basic, um, the basic behavior. Hmm. I coach clients mostly on nutrition and weight loss, but what something I say, and I would love to hear how you feel about this, but I say, you know, your own journey to eating healthier and losing weight, having more energy and confidence is really a journey of self-discovery and you have to figure out what works for you. 
And what works for you is probably totally different from the person next to you, and which is why a lot of these one-size-fits-all diets don't work. But would you agree that this process of creating new habits is really about learning your own self and what your preferences are? Yes, but I wouldn't say that it's so much learning your preferences. Mm. I'd say it's learning what's easy for you. Because what's easy for me is not going to be what's easy for you. Um, yeah. And, and really the repetition, making it easy so that repetition occurs on a regular basis is what we all need to do to form habits. And you can think of that ease, friction, difficulty um, thing that I'm talking about. You can think of using it to help stop yourself also from eating food that you don't want to eat so much. There was a great study done with um, people in a lab. They had two bowls of food in front of them. One bowl was apple slices and the other bowl was buttered popcorn. And everyone said they liked buttered popcorn better than apples. It's understandable. Yeah. But <laughs> when the researchers put the buttered popcorn at a distance so people had to reach for it, they could still see it and they could get it, but they had to reach. And the apple slices were right in front of people. They ate a third less calories because they ate more of the apples and less of the popcorn. So just adding a slight amount of difficulty to the food you don't want to eat, that can also be really helpful in controlling your behavior. It doesn't stop you from eating it, right? If you're determined you're gonna eat that buttered popcorn, you still can do it. But on average, it's going to decrease the likelihood that you do so. And that's all you want to do, right, is to make more of your diet healthy because that's going to have an effect over time. Hmm. Interesting. I'd love to know when it comes to a habit like emotional eating, so someone's eating because of stress or sadness or even joy, how do you break a habit like that when there's so much emotion involved? Well, it is possible for habits to be triggered by emotions, absolutely. Um, I think that that is the kind of habit, though, that can be controlled by having the opportunity to have only certain foods in your house or to try to limit the amount of food that you have. So, for example, I really like chocolate cake and um, I have a great bakery nearby that I found that, um, that bakes great cakes, but I freeze them. I bring them home and I freeze them. So if there's some trigger that's going to get me to eat cake or something else that I is not that healthy, I have to wait a little bit, right? I have to wait for it to defrost before I can really eat it and enjoy it. So for 
many people controlling the opportunity to eat will be helpful in controlling that sort of automated eating pattern. Mm -hmm. So just, it sounds like putting time or space or some type of barrier that makes, if we're talking about eating, the thing tougher to eat. Exactly. I mean, this is what Amazon made all of its money on is one click ordering and people buy stuff. But if customers have to wait or click twice, if there's some small amount of friction, Amazon knows they've lost customers. So people really are responsive to friction of distance, friction of time, friction of energy. And they're less likely to do those behaviors that require time, distance, and energy. Hmm. When you said that, it made me think, I wonder how much less every household would spend per year if you had to still drive out and buy things versus ordering things online. I'm sure, I don't know if anybody's ever studied that, but I'm sure you would spend, everybody would spend a lot less if it, if it costs more of your energy and time to get everything. Absolutely. We know that even if people buy things with dollar bills instead of with a credit card or debit card or their phone, they spend less money because you have to make a decision, right? You have to figure out how much money to spend whether you have it on you, you actually lose something when you're buying something with, um, with dollar bills instead of with an electronic device. So all of those things make us spend money more. They make us do everything more. Yes. Interesting. I, for a while, I think I was ordering too much on Amazon because it was just so easy. So for myself, I decided... I would wait at least 24 hours to kind of think about the thing before just ordering it. And I would put it in my list. And so it would still be there and I could still get it. But I had to really think about it. And I think that helped somewhat. Do you encourage people to do activities like that where you just pause before just clicking away? Absolutely. A friend of mine calls that the pine test. Is she going to pine for it? (laughs) tomorrow in the same way that she does today. And I think it's a great way to to think about behaviors that you don't necessarily want to do, but you may in the future. So Mm -hmm. an awful lot of, of the automated purchasing and the easy eating kinds of, um, options that we have available now require some break on them. If you can put that break on it, you'll be more successful. How long do you have to take consistent action to establish a new habit? Is there a number like 21 days I've heard thrown around or does it again just kind of depend on the person and the habit they're trying to introduce? Yeah, it would be great if there was a certain number, but there's not because Mm -hmm. habits are a learning system and it just takes longer to learn things that are difficult. 
than things that are easy. So the more you can make a behavior easy for yourself, the more likely it is to form into a habit in a shorter amount of time. You won't have to repeat it quite as often because you won't have to struggle quite as often. Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. Now, back to the episode. What if something, for example, I don't love exercising. I always say that's the one piece of the whole health journey that if I could just take a pill and get all the benefits that you get from actually exercising, that's what I would sign up for. Um, So for example, strength training, trying to implement a strength training routine when you're doing it, you feel sore. I don't find it particularly fun. You know, I can put music on or something to make it a little bit better, but I never really look forward to it, even when it is something I'm doing as more of a habit. Is there some role that rewards play in implementing a habit? And should that be a tool you use? Or how do you implement a new habit that feels really difficult or even painful at times? So not everybody likes the same thing. And there's great research showing that we're just more likely to repeat behaviors that we enjoy in some way. And this is true even with New Year's resolutions. So in one study, researchers asked people who had made New Year's resolutions two things. First, to indicate how enjoyable that resolution would be to them. And second, to indicate how important and life-changing the resolution would be. And then they looked to see which resolutions people stuck with. Now, you'd expect people would stick with the resolutions that were really life-changing, because that's why we make resolutions. But that's not what happened. They stuck Hmm. with the resolutions that were enjoyable in some way, something that they found fun and gratifying. And this is true in the gym, too. So there's research that has given people a list, people who are already in the gym, given them a list of exercises to choose from and asked them to choose an exercise that they would enjoy doing or asked them to choose an exercise that they felt would be really beneficial for them, like your weight training. And what these researchers found is that people were more likely to stick with the exercises they enjoyed. They just did them for longer. 
exercises mm. that were good for them, which is why we think we go to the gym, right? We're doing something that's good for ourselves. But those exercises aren't the ones people persisted with. They did them for a short amount of time and then they were done because they didn't like them. Mm -hmm. So finding something that is enjoyable, that really you like, is critical for exercise, for diet, for anything in our lives that we want to make into a habit. And what I always recommend is if you really don't like to exercise, and there are some people who don't, um, my guess is, Brooke, you're not really one of those. <laughs> because I mean, yeah, you're steady, I, I'll do it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because you're so involved in the health industry. Right, right. But there are people who just hate it. And if that's the case, then – Maybe find someone who you think is fun to talk to while you go for a walk. So it seems more of a social event than an exercise thing. I used to be a runner. I'm somebody who actually likes to exercise. And I used to be a runner, but I can't do it anymore. And I bought myself an elliptical on the theory if it's in my house, it will be easy, so I'll do it. But I didn't because <laughs> it's boring. Yeah. An elliptical is really boring. You stare at the wall and you move your arms and your feet. And I just had a really hard time making myself do it until I figured out that I could read trashy novels while I work out. And I don't do that anywhere else because I don't have time to. But while I'm working out, that's my time to read these things that I would, that I enjoy, but would never normally do. And that's made me really like the elliptical, and I use it regularly now. So finding what is your trick, what is key to you to increasing the enjoyment in what you're doing, I think is really important. And that goes for what you eat, goes for exercise. It's generally true. Sounds like the two critical E's here are easier and enjoyable. Exactly. And don't okay. focus on willpower. If you are struggling to do something, then you've already lost. Because you are spending your energy trying to make yourself do something instead of spending it actually doing that thing. You're not going to be able to form a habit easily because we get tired over time and no one enjoys that struggle. So yeah. once you're in a struggle with yourself, rethink the whole, your whole strategy for how to approach what you're doing. That's, that's really great advice. Um, I know you also write about the role of young kids in disrupting a routine and possibly resulting in fewer habitual behaviors for parents. Do you have any advice for parents who have young kids? Maybe they're in five years of that and they're wanting to establish good habits, but they have a baby and a toddler and it's just chaos. Um. Be kind to yourself. 
<laughs> life is going to be a bit chaotic for a while in, in a wonderful way. So um, understand that you're not going to have as much control over your time in this part of your life. But see, so that said, be kind, be kind to yourself, be generous to yourself. Um, but that said, there may be ways that you can gain control over small parts of your day. So when my kids were young, I, um, that's when I started running because it's a good workout in a very short amount of time. And I could leave my running shoes by the back door. I could go out running before they got up in the morning. And then I was always at home to make them breakfast before they left for school. So I was able to find a time in the day when I could establish a habit because there wasn't much competition. <laughs> no one else was up then. It was stressful and difficult at first because it's hard to get up early in the morning, particularly when you have such a full day with your kids. But to me, it was worth it. And other people may find other hacks that allow them to get a small amount of time during the day when they can actually go and work out. Mm -hmm. That's a good, a good idea to not look at it as it has to be this huge sacrifice of time. But even if you have five or 10 minutes here and there, what could you start working on in that time? Exactly. And try to find that um, as consistently as possible. So it's that regularity that's going to allow you to form a habit. And don't get too discouraged if first few times you try something, it doesn't work. It took me a good couple of years to figure out that first thing in the morning was my only shot. And if I didn't work out then, there was no chance the rest of the day. Well, I think that's a really great point, too. You just said a couple of years I think people sometimes expect this overnight success. And what you're saying is it could take a lot of trial and error and there will be mistakes along the way. So as you said, be gentle with yourself and there's nothing wrong with you if a new habit doesn't start overnight. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy your kids. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yes. good advice. I know you also talk about how a move or a breakup or other big life change can be an opportune time to pick up a good habit or break a bad one. Can you explain why that is? Yeah. So our habits are very closely tied to our living context. A habit is sort of, it's the way you regularly deal with where you live, how you live, with all of the surroundings, um, which is why people who live close to parks tend to exercise more. People who live in areas with big sidewalks and trees that are attractive places to walk do tend to walk more because our behavior is very closely tied to the environments that we live in. And when we change those environments, then all of the cues to our habits are disrupted. 
And the practiced behavior isn't automatically brought to mind anymore. Hmm. So when you move, when you start a new relationship, start a new job, have kids, old habits are disrupted. It's part of the reason why these things are so exhausting. You have to make decisions. All those things you were doing automatically in the past, you can't anymore. And you have to make decisions and decide what to do now. And it is an opportunity as well as a challenge because if you want to start an exercise program, then when you're in a new context, can be a time to explore which opt, what options are available to you and find new ways of doing it. As you've been talking, for some reason, I just keep thinking about Peloton and how they really capitalized on the pandemic by you bring the workout equipment into your home so it's easier and they kind of gamify it and make it fun and no one could go to gyms. So it was the perfect opportunity to bring this stuff, you know, a bike or a treadmill or whatever into your home. Um, and then now I think their stock is declining after the pandemic, after people are able to get out more and go to gyms again. But exactly, um, as we go back to work on the way home from the office, it's easy now to stop by your gym, the old gym that you had. And those in-person classes are fun. Right. In-person workouts are fun. Um, you get to have basketball games again. So all of these things, people are changing what they did during the pandemic. And now we're going back to some of the old patterns, sort of a hybrid model, partly mm -hmm. at home. The predictions are that people are going to be working um, at home a few days a week and then in the office a few days a week in the future, and that mm. we're all going to have slightly different schedules depending on where we work and who we work for and, and what fits our own lifestyle. Right. Um, as you were also just talking about a new job or a breakup and how new habits can be challenging, but also it can be an opportunity. I was also thinking of the pandemic and how hard it was at first and for my husband and me, at least, it got easier over time as we were both working from home and we kind of learned how to be around each other each day and come in with new habits of making lunch and, you know, prepping dinner or whatever's going on, working out together. But so much time with people in your home when you used to leave. And um, I, I just never thought about it that way. But part of the reason the pandemic was so hard is we were putting all these new habits in place now that we were all trapped inside with each other. Absolutely. We had to figure out what to do. All of these things that were automatic. We just got up in the morning. We put our work clothes on and we went into the office for those of us who are office workers. And then yeah. all of a sudden we, we have to make decisions about, okay, so now what do I wear? If I'm yeah. sitting in front of a Zoom, do I have to wear makeup? Um, do I have to? Is, can I wear workout clothes? What if I just put a shirt over my workout clothes? All of these things. I mean, it, it was exhausting. So there was both the fear and the awful experience for those of us who had family who got sick. Um, but also 
there was all of these life decisions that we were faced with that we we didn't have to do before. And that is exhausting. And that gives you an idea of how important our habits are in freeing us up to make decisions and think about things that we want to think about instead of the thing, basic things that we have to think about in order to live. Right. I'm curious. I love asking guests this question, but after years and years of researching habits, is there anything you've changed your mind about that you believe to be true or false now that you didn't at the start of your journey into this? Oh my gosh, I didn't understand much of anything about how habits work when I started. I didn't realize exactly how implicit, how unaware we are of our habits when when I started doing this research. And I didn't understand the importance of repetition. The idea that there's a, a memory system that operates without us making decisions and that codes our behavior in ways that we can't articulate. I, I always like to use the example of typing. So if you type a lot, as most of us do, you know how to use a keyboard automatically, out of habit. You don't have to think about what you're doing. You just type. So that's your habit. But if I ask you to list the keys in the second row of your keyboard, you'd have a hard time doing that probably. I can't do it without looking at them because they're two different types of memory, right? One is your conscious memory, which is whether you can list those keys off. And the other is your habit memory, which is whether you can use the keys to type. So that's the difference between a memory system that codes what you do and a memory system that codes what you think and know. Hmm. That's really, yeah, that's really interesting and has given me so much food for thought and more tools to use with clients. And I'm sure listeners have gotten so much as well. Uh, One of the final questions I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Oh, I would like to think that it means that in our society, we are concerned about health when we set public policy. So policies for what food we subsidize, for what um, kinds of um, streets we design, what kinds of sidewalks we design, what parks are available, that all of that is with people's health in mind. That's what Mm. I'd like it to mean. I love that. No one's ever taken the public policy approach, but that's so important and I think not talked about enough. And good food for thought, more food for thought. (laughs) Well, if you study habits, you're very aware of how our environment influences what we do and the behaviors we repeat. And that is determined in part by our communities and the towns and the cities and the states that we live in. 
Yeah. So interesting. Um, I know listeners are going to want to follow you and find you and buy your book. So where can they do all of those things? Well, I am on Twitter at Prof Wendy Wood. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram, Prof Wendy Wood. Um, and they can reach me at any of those places. I um, I do speaking and I do consulting at this point. So I'm very happy to speak with your listeners about any projects and um, programs that they're working on. Oh, great. Awesome. And then uh, your book, I'm sure, as we've already spoken about Amazon, but it's probably on Amazon, right? Yes, it is. It's available on Amazon. It's published by Macmillan, but but you can easily find it on Amazon. That would be one of the pining purchases, right? That if you don't get it, you'll pine after it and you'll think, I need to read this book. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much again for your time today, Wendy. I'm grateful for everything you shared with myself and my audience. Great fun talking with you, Brooke. Thank you for having me. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.